Yeah, yeah. It's good, Branch. All right. What up, Uncle Johnny? podcast where we come together to talk about matters from a theological uh, perspective but that theological informs our social and our cultural and our financial and our anthropological we can go on and on uh, yeah this is what we do and uh, we've come back in this episode we're gonna run with the tagline um, either revive us uh, revive us or deja vu <laughs> could be the subtitle Almost like we need that again. What I want to do is I want to I want to give you a quote, and I want to see how this quote, if this quote strikes a chord with you, hmm. uh, to launch into our session. Uh oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we are not Protestants anymore, just non-Catholics. Of what and of whom do we protest? Were we half as hot as we think we are? And a tenth as powerful as we say we are, our Christians would be baptized in blood as well as in water and in fire. Never mind that last part. The emphasis is on that first part. We are not Protestants anymore, just non-Catholics. Of what and whom do we protest? Were we half as hot as we think we are and a tenth as powerful as we say we are? Dot, dot, dot. 20 years ago, I said, I'm a Protestant, which means I'm a protester. Absolutely. I thought if about the that. world was, what is it? I'm a Protestant, which means, means I'm, I'm a protester. protester. If the world is Sanford, they would call me Esther. Esther. Mm. Mm-hmm. It does strike a chord with me in the sense that I think there's some truth to that quote, in the sense that when we think about what it means to be Protestant, what it means to be a protester, what the Protestants were protesting. Mm-hmm. Like there was a, a protesting about what had leaked into the church and there needed to be a revival, a reformation, something that brought us back to a more solid, uh, not just understanding of the scriptures, but a more solid following and obedience, I think, of the scriptures. And so we say when he says or whoever that is that says that's just Leonard Ravenhill in the classic why revival tarries mm-hmm. yes um well let me do this mm-hmm. I really only asked you that because I was figuring is there anything that we seem to be less of today than we would like to either claim we are like we we're less than what we claim to be or we're less of what we used to be mm-hmm. because Revive us assumes that we need to be re-inflamed, that we need to be brought back. Uh, Let me give you one more. Today, God is bypassing men, not because they are too ignorant, but because they are too self-sufficient. Brethren, our abilities, our handicaps and our talents are our stumbling blocks. Mm -hmm. Once again, 
doesn't it seem like this resonates because something agree. has replaced right in this case he's saying what's replaced our dependence right. is our sense of I was getting ready to say de dependency like there was a time when you used to hear a cry from believers a cry of dependence mm -hmm. like lord mm -hmm. like moses if you don't go ahead of me i don't even want to go right now it seems like there's so much attention on our own skill, our own talents, our own techniques, and it puts God in this pitiful position. It gives a witness of God, of the helpless God, who he's just as helpless as we are, and we're just helping him out. Mm. Because after all, they don't want him that way. Mm. What's been given way to is this overall idea that people don't want God a certain way. And so we have to help. And the ways we help are our talents, our resources. We win the same way the world wins. Mm. That's something that I would say is, is severely missing today. Like just this de dependency, this like, I can't do it without you and without your power. Hmm. You know? Excellent. I'm gonna do one more. Uh-oh. Andrew Murray on Revival. A true revival means nothing less than a revolution, casting out the spirit of worldliness and selfishness and making God and his love triumph in the heart and life. I totally agree. And if you remember, I guess a couple episodes past, we talked about lost things. And one of the big themes we carried along was worldliness. Like worldliness has crept uh, into the church in so many ways, we do church the way the world tells us to do church. We mm. do church based on worldly principle. Mm. Um, and a lot of it has to do with what we think about God, what we mm. really think about him and his way of doing things, I believe. Yeah, I, I would agree mm. with that. Well, I use that as our springboard because we want to talk about revival. Mm. Because what I would say is the reason why these resonated with me is because one of two things seem to dominate me uh, over the last couple years is just intensifying. Uh, I'm either, I've been led to either cry out, Lord, I'm ready for your return, or Lord, I'm ready for a revival. Hmm. In other words, what I've been asking for in light of the culture and the times is the return of Christ or revival mm -hmm. unto Christ. Right. Bring back in me what has dwindled. Mm. Re-energize me, and of course, as Andrew Murray rightly said, and get out of me anything that's hindering me from just reflexively responding rightly to who you are and what you're doing. Mm. I wanna talk about, I think we could, like, I think, talk about gains that we've seen, because mm. I think if somebody were to go back there was a time when people would say, man, I remember when things seemed to be clicking on cylinders. It seemed like we were kind of hot, but it feels like we always need to calibrate. I forget who said it, but I heard the BD one time, uh, Thabiti Anyabwile, I forgot who he quoted, but he was quoting someone, I believe, and he said, uh, um, Christians are leaky. We're leaky. We mm. keep leaking the things that we need. And so you always have to tighten up the screws. That's you always true. have to. And so, uh, and I, so I think that we need revival. But 
again, is that the longing? Is that the cry? It reminds people of the great revivalists. You know, the, the, of course, it's been said that America's early evangelical movement was birthed out of the revivalism mm-hmm. um, of the early revivalism of, the, you know, in this country where people would go around and they would proclaim the gospel because they believed that the greatest need was for a, a, a people to hear the, the, the gospel, which is able to revive the soul, to bring one back to a place of spiritual fervence, mm-hmm. uh, fervency. And so. Uh, I just figured, you know, I'm not really hearing people cry out for it. I'm not saying that they aren't, but I don't hear it. But yet that's what I'm longing for. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can even admit that I've been longing for eschatology, for the end. Come on, Lord. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somebody could say that I'm being selfish because I've been asking for the Lord Jesus Mm -hmm. to come because they want to still experience this or that. You know, somebody say, I'm getting married next year. Don't come yet. Somebody (laughs) says, I'm going on a cruise soon. Don't come. Somebody says, or there's believers still entering the faith. Or there's believers, right. well, I don't hear that. Usually right. it's, usually I hear some other mm. means for why they don't want, again, I'm ready to live my life. I'll be 21 next year. Mm. I'll finally get a chance to drink. You know, I've heard mm. all manner of reasons why people say, you, you know, like, I'm not asking Christ to come right now. Mm. Some person may say, I'm not ready for you to come because my life is not surrendered. Mm. Uh, but, the believer longs for the return of Christ, longs right. for his appearing. Right. And in the meantime, or we long for things to be lit ablaze, set ablaze for him. And so we were, uh, we either asking for his return or revival. And so I just wanted us to maybe spend a little time helping people to walk through or process what it means to either use the return of Christ as a motivating factor or pray for the revival from Christ or unto Christ in the meantime, while we wait. Anything in particular that comes to mind for you? Well, I would ask this. Have you noticed any gains that have that we've had since the last time when it seemed like the spirit of God was at work. People were getting saved. People's passions were for Jesus Christ. What what marked us before? What marks us now? And in between there are any things, have, have we gained anything? And have we lost anything? I guess that's what I would ask. I would say one that is probably pretty popular these days. There was a real focus um, some time ago when, quote unquote, people that, you know, uh, that I know would say, you know, it was on and popping and it was lit or something happened in their life that they remember, like this nostalgic moment I keep talking about. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, an emphasis on uh, the gospel, proclamation of the gospel. Um, You know, this idea that there was an urgency because humanity was in in bad shape and mm-hmm. it was it was dire something was happening men were gonna die mm-hmm. and die in their sins and so there was a fervency to make sure people understood and not just people like in the church but mm-hmm. people the unchurched um, mm-hmm. there was this evangelistic fervor okay I think but what some people would say what that era missed was like this human touch that went along with it. So don't just tell me about um, Jesus's love. I want to be able to feel it. Like 
I want you to be able to be so moved by the fact that you're in a relationship with him that like he encouraged, you loved your neighbor. Yeah. Like, don't tell me you love God and you hate your neighbor. Yeah. So I would say one of the gains today is, um, and I think it's a little tricky though, mm. but I think there is a, a new sense of making sure that there's a marriage between the gospel and the gospel effects. Like mm. right now we seem like we are, everywhere you turn, people are trying to make sure that if you say you know Christ and you're in a relationship with him, let's make sure we also not just let people know by way of, of expressing and articulating that, mm -hmm. but that people um, can experience and feel the love of Christ. So whether mm -hmm. that means meeting the needs of the poor, whether that means you know coming to the aid of the marginalized and the disenfranchised, mm -hmm. trying to make efforts at, you know, reconciling, especially here in America, I think those are basically, I think that those have been some gains. Like, though they're tricky and they come with a little twist to them, I would say that that is a, a gain, something that maybe is a positive that should have been added. So has anything been lost in while we ended up with that gain, has yeah. anything been lost? I would think so, and I think that's the part I've been thinking about is, is tricky, is I think there's been a switch along the way. The chief issue has become not sin, not the sin that has separated us from God, but almost all I hear is the oppression and that has come at the hands of men. Yeah, that has come at the hands of certain men. Like, that's mostly what I hear. I, I, I rarely hear an emphasis on what we just talked about. There's still a urgency that men are going to die in their sins. But I can almost never. Like, if we go to the big conferences right now, and I don't want to say all again, mm -hmm. and I'm not right, saying right, the right, whole right, church right. is falling away, mm -hmm. but I'm just saying what I hear is that's, that's the conversation that's going to dominate Right. the lectern or the pulpit. Um, so in some ways, I would say, though I talked about what had happened and I talked about what I loved about what it switched, the reason I said it was tricky is because it, I feel a switch there that right. I don't think it's supposed to happen. Right, right, right. Um, some would say that since the days, like, so again, when is the last time or what would mark the era when things were clicking. I always go back to, like you said, a high sense of Christology, a high sense of the uh, the Christocentric, like inclination of the of the church. Mm. Uh, I remember uh, when God in His glory, you know, back in the days when the Gospel Coalition and the you know the Together for the Gospels, uh, the church planting that was happening among the younger evangelicals would have been tagged the younger evangelicals, which were both the, on the white and the black side, the hip hopper and the hipster side. Uh, I remember, you know, in 2004, when I was going to boot camps to talk about church planting and church planting was the thing. People, everybody was starting to, and the, 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 the rationale for church planting was the evangelical thrust or inclination that you talked about. They said church planting is God's way to fulfill the great commission of making disciples. Mm. It's to uh, to 
again, it results in teaching them to observe all that I command, and that's through the local church's plan mm -hmm. A. Um, and so I remember when church planting was an evidence that things were clicking. Uh, the gospel was going out through music and art and, and merchandise and all manner of goods was promoting a very Christocentric and gospel-centered uh, lane. The conferences, uh, I remember going into the, you know, the, um, the, the, the unadjusted gospel, and then it was the explicit gospel books were coming out. I think Chandler had one called the explicit gospel. Uh, there was just all of this emphasis on the gospel, and I think that was true. I mean, like you said, that's true. Mm. Um, and so somebody could say, well, if that was 2004 to 2006, let's say it kept going to 2008, even to 2010, we talked about Anthony Bradley's book, uh, Liberating uh, liberation theology. Uh, on one of our other episodes, we talked about that. Uh, if 2010 was where it was clicking, someone could say around 2012 that something sort of pivot. Hmm. Uh, we know that some of the social ills of society and some of the tension that is that der that was derived from the fact that we had some differences in how the gospel should speak to the social. Uh, strife that was sort of dominating the, the news cycle and dominating our communities. Um, and some take that all the way back to, let's say, you know, five, six, maybe seven years ago, back to Trayvon Martins. And, mm -hmm. you know, and so um, some could say, if you go all the way back to 10, not only have we planted more churches, that's a gain. Mm -hmm. So there's been a proliferation of proliferation of, uh, proliferation of churches especially young urban city dwelling churches. Um, I would say white and black partnerships. I think if you go back, a lot of those churches were the product of uh, white churches and black churches coming together to help these, these, these new churches. So I think we've had gains in our partnership, our gospel koinonia, the Bible would call that, the Greek word for partnership or sharing and togetherness. Uh, certainly from the artistic level, someone could say that Christian hip hop is, um, um, has made great advances just in terms of the sonic quality and the amount that's available. Uh, the, I, I hear that if you go to the concerts, they're on another level within the Christian hip hop. We used to marvel at some of the rock concerts. Uh, and now I hear that the, some of the Christian hip hoppers have a lot of the bells and whistles at there. So all of these probably could be rightly noted, known as or noted as gains, mm. uh, things that you would be happy if they did not cost you anything. Right. So I go back to, you know, Philippians 3, where Paul basically looks at what are usually looked at as assets. He started talking about the Hebrew of Hebrews. I got circumcised on the eighth day. You know how I am. He says, uh, when it comes to righteousness, legalistically, he says, I dot out my I's and I cross my T's. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm from Benjamin, which is, a, you know, one of the, the tribes that didn't, you know, get scattered and not brought back. Um, and yet he said, I, I view these as liabilities now because they could actually take me away from my dependence on mm. Christ and him crucified. I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Mm -hmm. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And so if these things uh, make me want to rely on them instead of the righteousness that he provides, mm. those assets become liabilities. Right, right. I'm wondering, just by the nature of the lack of conversation around this anymore, mm. have, we, have, have, have we seen a loss of 
our Christocentric and gospel-centered inclinations. Hmm. Like you said, could it be that it's been a switch, unbeknownst to us, subtle though it may be, yeah. a switch from we begin, we stopped asserting the gospel to, as they say, we started assuming, assuming. the gospel. Mm -hmm. And now it's to the point where we just believe that we're doing gospel as long as we're doing things that the gospel may prompt you to do. Mm. But <clears throat> we're not, like you said, you don't get the sense that people's chief priority or their chief concern is that people's eternal destinies are at, uh, weighing in the balance. Mm -hmm. I don't get the sense that, <clears throat> I don't hear eschatology, like that looking at his return when he's going to usher in the perfect, I don't hear that talk very mm. much. Mm. And I don't hear explicit evangelistic thrust as much anymore. Right. I hear um, other things that are necessary. The question is, should we lose these? Do we need these things revived? Right. So revive us. And this will be a deja vu, which is why I sub, you know, I'm thinking the subtitle when we say deja vu, because deja vu is like this again. We remember when it seemed mm. like these things were at a, you know, at a, were on low, low burners, you know, mm. and um, and they remember when they got turned up. Mm. And now here we are again. It seems like do we need it to turn up again? These things in particular? I think that's always the case. Like, isn't it like if we just trace, I guess, redemptive history or the history of the church and believers, we always get these moments where it seems like there's a, the fire gets turned down and then the Lord sends somebody to fan things back into flame. Right. I think we talked about that as well. Just this idea that through history, somebody steps up and frames the moment and talks about the stakes and it relights a fire in the church and we see the spirit um, doing great things. I just feel like God forbid that we have to live our lives in a ultimate state of nostalgia where all we can do is talk about the great revivals of the past. Like I'm I'm so wit and looking to lock arms with those who want to Let's praise him now. Let's exalt him now. Let's rely and depend on his power to reach the current generation now. Right. Like, let's let's not let's not bask in the praise of nostalgia. Let's talk in the freshness of what God can do and wants to do through us Excellent. today. I believe Excellent. that that is what's biblical. Excellent. You know, Excellent. So. Another revivalist says this, when is a revival needed? When carelessness and unconcern keep the people asleep. Hmm. Goes on to say, when may a revival be expected? When the wickedness of the wicked grieves and distresses the Christian. Hmm. Recently, um, and I, I think I heard um, a clip of a, of a podcast where I finally heard someone sort of rebuking the current era, the current age, this current climate, where just through Twitter battles, mm. we're just fighting with each other. Right. And the, we forget that the enemy 
is the wickedness that's coming in or the, the, the indifference or the unconcern that's lulling us to sleep or the wickedness of the wicked is no, we're not, we're, we're not, we're no longer, uh, we're no longer representing the gospel of truth um, by like opposing the kingdom of darkness. It seems like we're hmm. just battling within the kingdom of light. Right. And so again, I, the question is, revive us now sometimes it feels so overwhelming like That's what does true. it take that instead of longing for revival you really don't mind if god wants to fast forward and come back and and just return in mm. return is now have you ever heard someone say that the church or christians historically can use eschatology or use like the coming the return of christ when all wrongs will be righted as a way of escaping the current, as a way of escaping, like, oh, don't worry about your life, even though it's messed up, mm. you know, it'll get better by and by, or don't worry about how bad things are. One day you're going to get your, you know, you're going to put on your shoes and you're going to, you know, you put your, 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 your praising shoes on and mm. you're going to, you're going to meet them at the gate. And, you know, like, is, you, you think that, like, how do we avoid that? How do we avoid, because it seems to me that you don't really hear it the like the return of Christ as a motivator for current action in the Bible the, the what's to come is not so people will rush toward what's to come mm. it's usually used to light a fire for people in the moment yeah. it mm. is actually the means of revival think about the return and let it revive your determination to be faithful in the present mm. as you wait for the return right 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 you see mm. um I don't know if you want to say anything to that, but because I got some passages that I think make that that point brilliantly. Go ahead, rock those because I'm I'm thinking. Okay, okay. Um, think about what uh, Timothy chapter two. I mean, excuse me, Titus chapter two says: the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us currently to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control upright and godly lives in the present age. So there's this, this is this salvation that has come and it is currently training us to live a certain kind of way in the present age. Then it says waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ. So there's the waiting for what's to come and there's what we do in the meantime who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works watch this declare these things exhort and rebuke with all authority mm. so this light the fire under us now by knowing that something has come mm. to give us again the way to deal with what's present while we wait for that which is ultimately future. Um, I thought about the dash here because in the first, in, in verse 11, there's an epiphany, there's a word about an epiphany and appearing. Mm. It says the grace of God has, again, and it uses yeah. the word epiphany. Yeah. We used this back when we planted a church uh, years ago when that first started. It's, there's an epiphany and there's going to be another epiphany. It says while we wait for the appearing of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And in between that epiphany that mm. brought salvation and that epiphany that's going to consummate salvation yes. is that dash. Mm. And I thought about your album, mm. The Dash. Mm. Um, so that's one where you see it, where what's to come lights a fire presently 
even as we admit, like you said, we don't get stuck in the nostalgia of the past, but we acknowledge the past has affected the present. Hmm. And the present is what we do now, not don't do what you do in the present because you wish there was something, you know, in the future here. Hmm. So I like that one. I like yeah, that yeah, one. Good. One more. Give me, let me give you one more. Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is all about how you wait for the coming of Christ. Mm. It's three parables. And it really, if you put them together, they're really how to wait. They come at the end of Jesus's life in the ministry. And he's telling them what the end time will be like. Uh, the disciples ask him about how will we know when the end is coming. Mm -hmm. And so he begins to tell them about like, man, things are going to get increasingly uh, worse. Things are going to be increasingly uh, more ripe for the return. And then he gives them three parables, the parables of the virgin. You've heard about the parable of the virgins, the ones that needed the oil in their lamps. Mm -hmm. And it says, hey, this is you ought to wait expectantly. You ought to you ought to be ready. You ought to wait <laughs> in a state of expectancy because mm -hmm. so be ready. So they needed to have basically the oil in their lamps mm -hmm. so that they wouldn't uh, have to go get oil in order to see. It's this imagery of being able to wait with expectancy. Mm. And then the second one is the parable of the talents, which is right near it. And it says, wait, uh, work while you wait, mm -hmm. you know, be busy, be industrious, right. uh, you know, f flip the one talent to a two talent, flip your two talent to a five talent, flip five talents to 10 talents. Don't just bury them, twiddle your thumbs and look up and say, oh, when Jesus comes here, right. mm -hmm. when, when he comes back, mm -hmm. but put it to work, work while you wait. I like what the New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says about this portion. He says, we work as those who believe that our task is to expand the masters or the king's assets, mm. that the king entrusts us with something and we put it to work that it may, ex it may expand. And then the last one is parables of the sheeps and the goats. And that's when it says he's going to divide the nations up between those who know him and those who don't. And that would be, uh, the time of ultimate vindication and the time of commendation when God weighs in on what you did versus the times of alienation, because there's another group, he says, depart from me mm. and con, um, condemnation where he judges. So here's another case where they put what's in, in, in parables, especially in parables of three, the last parable is the climax. Mm. And so the climax here is really on the ultimately when he judges, mm. when he comes back to vindicate people or alienate people, mm. when he comes back to commend people for a job well done or condemn, or condemn them for mm. failing to mm. be found in a number of those who've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. But in the meantime, go to work and mm -hmm. in the meantime, be ready. Mm. So there's another, you know, biblical case. Again, I, I just... I just thought that, you know, I'm, I'm really pressed with both this longing for the return, but then I do feel guilty that I'm trying to escape because I do, I'm driven there by how difficult it is to remain godly in a time like this. Mm. Um, I'm thinking about my children and I'm like, how are you going to make it? I'm thinking about the deficit sometimes, just basic things like the, our country and the, and the deficit, mm. you know, trillions of dollars that they're going to, you know, be responsible for. 
um, the issue with the, the lack of Middle East peace. I know God is able, uh, but I know that these climates often prepare the way for the return of the king. I think about what they're going to get in school, the fact that evil is in the palm of their hands now. I've been stalling on my kids having hmm. devices because... Again, I know I can put all the filters in the world, but once you start that, Stall you know, as long as you can, so I've yeah. been stalling and um, hmm. I'm just like, they're going to be able to just Google any vice that they want and it flood in and give them a list of related, you know, clicks. And so I, I do sometimes find myself wanting to vacate. But in the meantime, I think uh, I say, well, then revive in me a commitment to mm -hmm. uh to, to the gospel, reviving me a commitment to um, discipleship, you know, um, holiness, um, the things that seem to have dwindled as we've gotten more sophisticated, we've gotten more cute, as we've gotten more capable and able. Right. Um, have we lost that sense of dependence and our commitment to right. these things? So I think just piggybacking off of your, you know, just your your major concerns you were voicing right there. I think one of the ways we have to encourage ourselves is the same God who brought us through this age Excellent. is the one that's bringing them through and is able. Excellent. Like he's not sitting up there as befuddled and as anxious as we are. Right, like right. he knows exactly right. what's going on. Right. And maybe like what you're saying, like God the Father also knows the end. Like he knows when he's getting ready to interrupt this. Right regularly scheduled program oh, right, and right. bring it to a to an end wrap it all right. up so i think we need to be encouraged for what's coming for our kids for the generations coming behind us that the same mighty god that we put so much emphasis on reading about like the one who actually parted a sea mm. he didn't lift them up and walk them over it he parted the sea and they had to walk through all the trouble, Excellent. all the like, imagine that, a, a sea Excellent. walling up on each side, like, mm -hmm. but walk them through to the dry land on the other side. Mm -hmm. Imagine him putting the preacher and his family in an ark, one with no rudder and no uh, sail. <laughs> no rudder, no sail, but guides them safely to the other side of the flood. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus, yeah. I mean, these are types of what he's done. Yes. And he's not done <laughs> with us Excellent. or our kids or the generation coming behind. Like, I think the encouragement we can have is it's really not dependent on us. Right. It's not dependent on our godliness. We can, I'll encourage you that right. as well. Right. Like, yeah, oh, we got a lot oh, to yeah. confess that we need to revive in our own hearts. I'm glad you brought that up. Because I don't want to sit here and just point fingers right, at the right. the church and everything else. I need a revival in my own heart. I'm not always dependent. I try to take my own matters into my own hands yeah. and wield my own thing because I'm fearful of how I'm going. How am I going to make it? Or how mm. am I going to fulfill and satisfy all the longings of my heart? You know what I mean? Excellent. I need a revival in my own heart. I need, you know, that deeper communion with the Lord. Um, you know, I often think about you talking about, uh, you know, the eternal perspective and what it should do in our, you know, I've always been taken with Abraham and just the, the two things that Abraham always had was that tent and that altar, that time of consecration. He yeah. built, he built an altar when the mm -hmm. Lord 
visited him and yeah. spoke to him. Yeah. Then the times when Abraham messes up, you don't see a tent and altar. He goes down to Egypt because of a famine. He's supposed to be the one bringing blessing. He's bringing cursing and gets mm. ushered out of Egypt. He's supposed mm. to be the one God's representative. He's going out looking like, how could you be God's representative? You down here, independent, lying, all this stuff. So, but what was interesting is the first thing the scripture says when he comes out of there is he goes back to the place where he built the altar. Mm. Let that be us. Mm. Lord, remind us if there's going to be a revival, we got to know how do we get back to the place of consecration and value it. He built it, build it into our lives. This technology takes us away. All the entertainment takes us away. There's so much competing for our discretionary time. The Lord can barely get any. If we're going to have revival, we have to consecrate our hearts mm. daily. Mm. And the tent is important. There was no permanent structures for Abraham. He journeyed through the land as the Lord led him. And it was, it was, you know, nomadic. Like right. we're not here to stay. Sometimes that enters in on us. Right. We start, we start talking about worldliness. We start thinking we're here to stay. And it's so subtle. Right. I was just talking to a brother the other day. Like it's so hard to get out of our hearts. Like because we want it. Like, right. I, I need to have some sense of safety, especially for when our wives, like this, I, I this, hear this come from wives alike, this, this sense of security and safety and a future that's set. And we're not here for that. I think God shows a perfect example as he's building a people. Right. Abraham is where we see God starting. He starts over, he's building a people. And these are the things he's building in them. Be have a point where you have this cleansing moments, this moments of communion with me often. It's right. the only way you right. make it. And make sure that you're not tied to the earth. Right. You're not here to put down permanent structures and set up your kingdom. You represent my kingdom. Right. Tells them, leave your country, leave your kindred and your father's house. You're a new citizen. Mm. You got new sphere of influence and mm. new dependency. You're not mm. dependent on your father. I'm your father. And uh, excellent. I think that's a great way. I know for me, I'm trying to get back to that and uh, let my heart get fanned into flame and lock arms with others who want to do the same. Hmm. I'm looking for a movement re reimagine, man. That's um, when you started talking, I was thinking about um, what was to, uh, what Jesus told the church at and, um, at Ephesus in Revelation, mm. after telling them that they've sort of fallen mm. away, he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Yeah. And so that's what you're saying, yeah. going back to the tent and the altar. Yeah. Repent, do the turn around and go do the things you used to do. Mm -hmm. uh, just but, but know you've fallen. So yeah. that's why I thought that this is, you know, very apropos for us today. Um, and if there's and we have to believe that God wants to do it. We have to believe that he is able and he's up for it. Right. Like, one of the biggest things I'm noticing, Deuce, is not just throughout the scriptures. It's not just disobedience. It's unbelief. <laughs> Yo, he said, it's unbelief. <laughs> <laughs> As if a light bulb went off. Right. It's unbelief, yo. Unbelief. That's, That's like one of the biggest things, like one of the biggest stumbling blocks for God's people. That's it. Unbelief. Wow, we don't believe. I believe that's the sin in Hebrews right. 11 when it says lay aside the, 
the the weight. Um, easily. Yeah, the, right. the, yeah. It's the sin that besets, mm. and it's coming after you know just a track record of um, a track record of, and that's in twelve. Uh, my bad, but um, Hebrews twelve, where he's talking about we have a cloud of witnesses. Mm. So we're you know we're laying aside every weight of sin that 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 and the sin that easily besets us. Mm. And so, you know, you look at it and say, man, the sin is unbelief. Mm. We just don't believe that it's worth it, or right. we just don't believe that he's able. Right. He says, you know, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, run run our race, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author okay, and finish. finisher of our faith, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, yeah. Um, well, I just think that that's, uh, any last words? I think that's, that's just a good way to, just a good reminder that um, that we should that we should consider mm -hmm. <laughs> from where we've fallen, mm -hmm. turn around, and do the works you did at first. Mm -hmm. That's a good, just a good admonition. Yeah. Um, just want to make mention of another resource. Uh, just one of the uh, so Tabidi Anyabwile, um, he. One of his earlier works is called The Decline of African-American Theology from Biblical Faith to Cultural Captivity. I know that makes people wince because uh, we've been restoring um, a right understanding of the African-American church and the African-American Christian and African-American Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, and so often um, the critique seems misplaced or ill-timed uh, because we're we're trying not to give fuel and fodder to those who would seek to see us wrongly, see us in, you know, in some inferior way. Um, but I, I become a little concerned that in our desire to not, uh, not critique ourselves, lest they, you know, right. lest whoever is out for our demise have, you know, um, have something to work with. I think that text reminds us that we've got to remember. And this sort of was looking at the black experience all the way from, uh, from slavery forward and uh, just noticing that there, are, there have been seasons when our understanding of the fundamentals mm. has had a split. And so I just think this is a good resource when thinking about how to check where you've, where you've been and where you've fallen from and uh, what it means to go back uh, What's the name of it? So it's called The Decline of African-American Theology mm -hmm. from Biblical Faith to Cultural Captivity. Mm. But um, it's, it's, it's a good resource for anyone, uh, but it just, it really bears witness to mm. uh, a journey that shows you both the ups and the downs, the lefts and the rights. Uh, and so that's something just to recommend. Mm. Yeah. Cool, cool. Excellent, excellent. Dope. Yeah. So I guess... Any stories? I was going to ask you. <laughs> Think you up. Story? Mm-hmm. On the road? On the road or otherwise. Huh. Jesus was a bad little boy. Oh! <laughs> Shout out to my people. <laughs> In D-Town. Oh. Yo. Wow. So here's one for you. Wow. This is almost not funny, though. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, it's not, it's a little sad, but. Um, but maybe it's still good to talk about because yeah. there's probably yeah. still something to learn. Listen, we're going to keep, we're going we gonna to keep my man anonymous. So all those who know the story, we're not really clowning because 
we're not going to bring shame by saying who it was. But right. uh, we got invited to this church, as you know, and um, the church was basically trying to talk to the youth. And so they brought in somebody, uh, you know, a guy who had a title that made you expect theological excellence because based on his title he wasn't just a pastor he was you know no and they laid it on thick they like, laid it on he thick he was the almost right. like the bishop of the city and he all was this. he was big time yeah, yeah, he yeah. was big time so i didn't even want to say all of that i didn't want to say that but no, well just mind good. you the connection right. you're making i understand <laughs> but it wasn't that bit it was a bishop they brought right. in oh okay. yeah they brought they brought him in but Okay. Yeah, that's still I, too no, close. Just, that's still too close. <laughs> so, uh, so we, you would expect theological excellence. Uh, so he came in and um, he just began to go off. First, he started saying, you know, that um, he basically was teaching that Jesus was a bad little boy. He said Jesus was a bad little boy. No, he and, said um, everybody always think Jesus was perfect. Right. Jesus wasn't perfect. Right. He Jesus was, was a bad little boy. <laughs> we got to stop thinking that he was something different than us. Remember when he That's said what that? He said, right. he said he's something different. So, so we if sit you were, in our seats so you remember, Right. We're squirming. Yeah. And if you remember, uh, not Enoch. Enoch. Right. right. Um, Enoch said, excuse me. Stood up. Yeah. So, hey, I got to ask you a question. Um, what about the hypostatic union? <laughs> <laughs> and so this guy said, the what? And started he laughing. He said, the, the hypostatic union. He said, what? There they go. It was almost like coming to America. There they go. There they go. <laughs> he said, the, the, where's that in the Bible? No, he said, he said, what about the hypostatic union? He said, what? Like you said. <laughs> and then Juan he, said, like, not trying oh, yeah, to yeah, be yeah, all yeah, high-minded, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, oh, yeah, maybe he said, you no, haven't no, heard right, it. Heard, yeah, yeah. yeah, he said that Jesus was fully God, God and fully man. He, he said, said where is that, that in the Bible? Bible? <laughs> right. right. That's it. That's but it. But this is playing out in front of <laughs> right, a whole conference a whole of kids. Conference of, yeah, youth. And, yeah. Um, and then he said, oh, my goodness. See, we got to, that's when he said, see, we got to stop thinking that he was something not like us. Right. Um, he was a bad little boy. Right. And uh, his parents had, well, had to ask him, where you been at? Why you do that to us? Right. And, um, and man, we were, uh, again, for us, it wasn't, it wasn't funny. Yeah, it was everything. But because... when we looked back, we were like, wow. Right. The dude they brought in to be the theological expert is teaching at the notion and that Christ, that Christ is, is sinful. Right. Teaching, right. And that he sinned like us right. and that he's not much different than us in order to encourage us. Right. But that wasn't encouraging because no, if no. God is, if God's son is, <laughs> if he's like us, then right. what hope do we have? Yeah. We're done. God sent. Still in our God sins. became a man. Right. So be encouraged. Our Christ was sinless. Uh, blameless, even as a boy, perfect, perfect <laughs> sacrifice. Yes, grew up. Yep. Now who can say? Which of you accused me of sin? Right. Like who would say that? Right. Who? Let's like, see. Arrogance. Right. Or oh, that's true. Right. Truth. He's either. Yeah. What they say? Liar, lunatic, or Lord. Lord. I'm about to say <laughs> legend. <laughs> Shout out to Hazakim. Yeah. Liar, lunatic, Lord, a legend. Amen, amen. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yes. So somebody would ask, you know, we're talking about, you know, back to the evangelistic thrust, uh, back to the evangelistic inclination, seeing eternity weighing in the balance and wanting to go back. 
um, in light of a Christ who's returning um, and wanting to give that gospel and because that's that when the church is on fire and the church is clicking as she should, she'd be fulfilling the Great Commission in its fullness, uh, not just making converts, but making disciples. Uh, but at least the conversion process steps up um, where the gospel goes forth. People come from death to, li death to life and then they are walked with so that they become conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, but somebody might not even know the gospel. Somebody might not know how you would, how, how to understand what that initial gospel message would be. Paul mm -hmm. says, I gave you that, which is of first importance. That's where I was going. Okay, excellent. Mm -hmm. what, what, what would you say? What's the gospel? Yeah, I think I want to be clear to also say, you know, I know there's a lot of, a lot of swirl today around mm -hmm. what is the gospel, and especially as it relates to you know, a lot of the heightened awareness of social justice and, you know, what I would personally call um, probably more what I see is people explaining what they feel like the effects of the gospel are. Like, yeah. don't tell me that you have the gospel and you don't love your brother. Right. And I would agree. Right. Though I would probably disagree that loving my loving brother, my brother is, the is the gospel necessarily. Excellent. Right. Yeah. But that's yeah. what I hear more of. Right. Oh, yeah. I think the gospel is what, you know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was reminding the brothers of uh, the gospel that had been preached to them, which they received and in which they stood, um, mm -hmm. and by which you're being saved. Mm. If you hold fast the word I preached, he said, unless you believed in vain. And then 15 in verse thir uh, 3, he says, for I delivered to you, like you mentioned, as of first importance, mm -hmm. like it was of first importance to Paul um, to give them this, um, that which he had also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. This is Paul speaking. <laughs> For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Mm. But by the grace of God, I am what mm. I am. Yeah. And the grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Mm. So I believe that that nugget right there is the gospel. Paul explains this idea of Jesus coming to die for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That's the other thing. I battle with a lot of, not battle, I'm sorry, I share and I'm making disciples and young guys are asking these questions that they've been bombarded up with like, maybe it's not the Christ. Right. Maybe it's Horace. According Maybe to it's, YouTube. Right. But Paul <laughs> keeps saying, according to the scriptures. And that's the beautiful thing that the scriptures fulfill that we have the Messiah. Like mm. Jesus perfectly walked out and fulfilled the scriptures. So Paul is saying, in accordance to the scriptures, Jesus died. Um, he was buried. He was raised on the third day, resurrected. Again, according to the scriptures. Right, it says right. This was, Horace didn't, well, they would say 
but I'm not that's another day. <laughs> um and then he appeared. He appeared to many people. Mm-hmm. He Validated. ascended. Yeah. yeah, ascended to heaven, yeah. sits on the right hand of Basically the Basically says they're, they're still living. Right. In other words, go check it out. Right, exactly. Go check it out. Go check it out for yourself. Because if you right. were running a scam, you right. wouldn't... You and know. that's the thing. Or the court of law, that's what they say. Bring the witnesses. Right. Like, And there were many. Like, Right. Go check it out. There's yeah. people still living who could tell you, and that's in this time when this. Hear the phone written. records. Right. Look at my phone records. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I believe that that is the gospel: the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and his. He sits on the right hand of the Father, and it's belief in that. Right. Belief in that, not right. just able to be able to say you heard about that. Right belief in it right all your weight and your trust on that story to to save your sins nothing of yourself brother was telling me the other day yeah man if i could just get to the next level no it's not (laughs) next level it's nothing you'll ever do to please this was enough that did it all Um, right past present future we're good if you put your faith and trust in right that's the gospel right that's the gospel nothing else Right. No other work, no other good deed, even though we should do them. And if we are believers, uh, those will mark our lives. Right. It, it will testify to the fact that we are. Right. But it's not the gospel, mm. at least in my estimation. No. Well, I'm just an uncle. According to the scripts. It's time for the Benny, mm-hmm. the benediction. Now to him who's able to revive us mm-hmm. and in the words of Jude keep us from falling away yeah. <laughs> keep us from utterly falling away and present us yes, Lord. perfect before his presence with exceeding joy mm-hmm. to that only wise God be glory majesty dominion and power both now and forevermore amen, amen. Oh, yeah.